We're back. So is he. Happy Monday. Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global com- companies and organizations, is with us. He founded this company back in 2010, but prior to that, he served in the U.S. Air Force for 26 years. He was an intelligence officer. He attained the rank of colonel. And in November of last year, he acquired a new position as military analyst for CNN. More than a pleasure to have back in the program, Colonel Cedric Layton. Colonel Layton, thank you for joining us. Happy Monday. I think we're LinkedIn everywhere now, right? I'm happy about it. I think we are, Leslie. It's great to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm back home a little jet-lagged, but good to be home and uh, glad to be back on the show after the week uh, and, and just weeks of debates. I'm definitely ready for this election to be over. But, you know, the, <laughs> uh, the, the election has somewhat, except for some of the news cycles in the past few days, um, overshadowed something that's very essential that the United States is obviously involved in, but also that most likely going forward – um, the next president will be heavily involved in and in decision-making with. So we'll talk about that. And, of course, I'm talking about the offensive in Mosul. Um, the ISIS militants, it would seem, are fleeing to Syria, according to tribal leaders there. Colonel, is it true that the United States and the Iraqi military and the Kurds have been very successful and, and it, you know, so far, not just with this, but leading up to this, because the numbers I see are that you have, like, 33, thousand people fighting isis and isis has like eight thousand and the fact that they're having all of these within iraq separate uh terror cell group attacks if you will like in kirkuk and other areas uh, does that indicate a, a desperation well i think it does leslie and uh, the reason it indicates desperation is that uh, they are isis is really at the at a stage right now where uh, their very future is being held in the balance. Uh, if they lose Mosul, and there's every indication that they will lose Mosul, uh, they only have the area around Raqqa in northeastern Syria uh, to go home to and to uh, work from. And that that is a, a much more limited area of control than they had uh, starting about two years ago when they had that major offensive that took over large portions of Iraq and basically was knocking on Baghdad's door. Uh, so you have a, a really uh, clear change in the, the response, uh, first of all, of the Iraqi government, and also a, a very clear response on the part of the Kurds uh, that is far more uh, direct, far more uh, forceful, and certainly far more effective than what they would have otherwise had. I also want people to understand, um, you know, what, what does this signify other than um, another attempt? I mean, this is more than symbolic uh, that the forces fighting ISIS have recaptured area and cities um, around Mosul and that they're not giving up and that this will be a, a bit long and a bit bloody. But, you know, what what does Basically, if the Iraqi forces, the Kurds, along with international support with the United States leading that international support from the air and special forces, special ops on the ground, Colonel, does that mean that Iraq will have seen possibly the end of ISIS and that just pushes ISIS completely or they will flee completely into Syria? 
portions of ISIS will definitely flee into Syria. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, they are already doing that. There's a, a portion, basically the, the forces that are coming into Mosul are coming from the north, the east, and the south. The area to the west is actually open enough for uh, both civilians as well as ISIS fighters to go towards Syria. And that is that is what a lot of them are doing. There are reports that uh, at least... Uh, you know, 78 to 80 towns have been liberated uh, by the Iraqi and Kurdish forces. Um, and that indicates that the ISIS forces are not going to be the same kind of threat that they were before. It doesn't mean they're going to be completely eliminated. We saw in Kirkuk uh, when they attacked the security buildings in Kirkuk, and uh, there's still some issues uh, that uh, the Iraqis and the Kurds have to have to worry about there. But that the fact that they that ISIS attacked Kirkuk is an example of an what's called an asymmetric attack. And asymmetric attacks meaning that they are not of the same variety that uh, that you would expect a standard military force to use. Uh, they're going to go to guerrilla tactics, they're going to go to terrorist tactics, and they will still pose a threat not only to Iraq, uh, but also to neighboring countries like Turkey, possibly Jordan, uh, Saudi Arabia, places like that, and of course to Western Europe as well. And it would show that this this is a successful battle so far for people that think that, you know, our, our military are, you know, failing or the president and his policy are failing. I want to give an update on the latest developments. Seventy eight towns have been liberated. Seven hundred and seventy two ISIS fighters have been killed. That's just in the first week of battle, according to our operations center. Uh, shelling has resumed in the town of Bashika. That's on the outskirts of Mosul. And ISIS executed about 40 people who actually celebrated the liberation of their own villages by Iraqi forces. I, I want to talk about um, ISIS for a moment. Colonel, for people that think ISIS is trying to kill Christians or Jews, the amount of people they've killed in Iraq, you know, especially, we can go to Syria another time in conversation, and what they have done using these people as human shields, shooting people in the head who would not pledge their loyalty to ISIS, is proof that this is not a religious group. This is just a group of terrorists who murder, who want power, and don't care about human life, regardless of what that human life's religion is. Well, that's absolutely true. They have killed actually far more Muslims than they have of any other uh, group. They they are a, a Sunni-based group, uh, but that does not mean that most Sunnis support them. Most Sunnis actually are vehemently against ISIS and what ISIS stands for. Uh, most Muslims are actually pretty tolerant people in in uh, you know most of the most of the Arab world, and uh, in the people that run ISIS have done a great disservice to the Islamic faith. Uh, they have done a great disservice to the Sunni portion of the Islamic faith, and they are really a a, a definite uh, group that is that is very much, as you said, bent on achieving power for power's own sake. Uh, they are clothing their efforts in a religious mantra, in a religious talk, in religious language, uh, but they are not really acting on that religion. They, in fact, what they're doing is antithetical to all of the great religions, and uh, that is something that uh, they are going to have to uh, deal with on a personal basis uh, from, from uh, you know, now until, until uh, their, their final end. And also, uh, to that point, we're going to take a break, but if you look at Iraqi history and the division among these people, one thing we can thank ISIS for is bringing them together in a sense. Kurdish forces, Christians, Shia Muslims, Sunni Arabs fighting alongside one another. 
for one common goal and one common enemy, and that enemy is ISIS. We're going to be back with our guest, and we hope you'll stay with us. So join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, is our guest. He is also a military analyst for CNN. You can follow him on Twitter at Cedric, C-E-D-R-I-C, Layton, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. The website, CedricLayton.com, back after this. We're back, and I want to let you know that Geico has been saving people money for over 75 years. In this hour, you want to join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Colonel Cedric Layton's in the house, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. He's also a military analyst for CNN. We're talking about the Mosul offensive. Um, I, I want to talk about, in addition to those 78 towns and villages and 772 ISIS fighters that have been killed, 23 detained, 127 vehicle-borne explosives uh, were destroyed. Uh, There are people out there that say this was a better than expected gain territory wise. Um, You know, if if you put on paper what they were hoping for and what they've actually done and gained, would you agree this was better than expected, at least with the territory gains right now at this point in time? Oh, absolutely. After the first, uh, you know, first week or so of fighting, uh, you would expect maybe about half to three quarters of what happened, given you know, the types of forces that are arrayed against ISIS uh, and the types of weapons that those forces have. So, uh, Leslie, it, it is a much better than expected result so far. Now, the big caution, of course, is things are going to change once they get into the urban areas of Mosul. It's a far more difficult environment than uh, the coalition forces have had to deal with uh, so far. And that is going to really be the big test here. So it could still take around six weeks to mop everything up and to do all the things that that they need to do in order to secure Mosul, uh, maybe even a little bit longer. But having said that, uh, the gains that they have made, uh, that the Iraqis have made, that the Peshmerga have made, and of course uh, the U.S. advisors who've helped them, uh, that uh, those are impressive gains and there is nothing that can take that away from them. So the speed, also the level of cooperation, and, and we can't ignore the thousands of ground troops um, that were supported from above with concentrated programs of airstrikes, including the United States that helped and were aimed at weakening ISIS defenses. Is is this an example of how we don't have to put boots on the ground to, uh, you know, A, we don't have to put boots on the ground, and B, that the victory has to to be in the hands of these people, even though we've trained them or given them money or, or weapons and, you know, we help them from the air, this has to be their victory? It really helps when it is a local nation's victory. It, it is, you know, much better because what it does is it helps to consolidate uh, a nation like Iraq, which is allied with the United States. It helps to consolidate their political institutions. It helps to better their military. Uh, it also helps to uh, reassure the local population uh, that that military is actually going to fight for them. And there were some serious doubts about that, uh, you know, that the Iraqi military would be able to do that. But what the Iraqis have done is they've rebuilt uh, some of their divisions. They have enhanced uh, the types of efforts that their uh, that their special operations forces, their special police forces, are able to engage in. And uh, they've upped to not, not only that, but they've also upped the training that these forces undergo. And that, that really makes a big difference. And the other part of it is, is that uh, Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi has apparently made uh, great headway against the corruption and the nepotism that was very prevalent uh, under his predecessor, and that uh, that is a uh, 
a real, a real distinct uh, sign of progress uh, for the Iraqi military and the Iraqi police. So uh, there's a lot to be said that, uh, you know, if you work with indigenous forces, uh, native forces, uh, and the forces that are a part of a broad coalition with a single purpose in mind, that can then really uh, provide a, a winning combination. Uh, and as far as U.S. troops on the ground is concerned, each situation is going to be a bit different. Uh, but if you can do it without having U.S. troops or many U.S. troops on the ground, it is certainly better than occupying large amounts of foreign territory for an undetermined period of time. Once the uh, city of Mosul's perimeter has been breached, I, I know that there's concern, and I'd like you to speak to this, Colonel, with your expertise, uh, that in the open fields or small villages um, surrounding Mosul, um, that there might be some resistance out there, some pro-ISIS uh, resistance uh, that's uh, likely to ramp up significantly once the perimeter's breached. Well, it's, it's very possible, because what ISIS tends to do is they tend to occupy buildings that are not inhabited at this at this point in time uh, what they uh, what they tend to do like we saw in the, the case of the village where the 40 people were killed uh, they basically hid among the ruins of, of some of the buildings in that village and then opened fire on the people that were celebrating uh, the uh, the victory of the Iraqi forces or the liberation their liberation by Iraqi forces so that's a very uh, sad commentary but a warning uh, to all of uh, the coalition forces uh, that it uh, is very difficult sometimes to mop up all of the resistance out there. So the area east of Mosul in particular, and also the area to the south, is it's very easy for ISIS fighters to find themselves in those areas to breach uh, Kurdish lines, Iraqi lines, and to also mount uh, vehicle-borne improvised explosive attacks. And if they do that, then uh, you know it could it could serve to uh, at least in local areas localized areas it could serve to to stall the advance or at least to to make the advance more difficult so uh, the forces that are going toward Mosul have to be very careful uh, they can't be overconfident they can't uh, you know forget to uh, take care of the fundamentals of uh, this kind of warfare and then they have to be really prepared uh, for the fundamentals of urban warfare once they get into the really built-up areas uh, that are Mosul itself, that, that constitute Mosul itself. Well, what about the concerns, Colonel, of uh, many civilians? I mean, the village where the executions of those 40 took place by ISIS, um, some people say that there aren't units that are fighting ISIS left to be behind to ensure that ISIS militants stay out. So in other words, ISIS passes through, they kill people, they move on. Uh, the people chasing ISIS come through, they move on. But what if ISIS circles back and comes back to these villages? The people are very afraid of this. Absolutely, and they should be. And, it, and it's a very, you know, in all wars there are uh, certain situations that are similar to this. You, know, you look at World War II and how uh, we advanced in both the German, into both German-held and Japanese-held areas, the different theaters of that war. And there were times when uh, a particular town would uh, be under the control of, let's say, the American forces, and then the Americans would leave, and then uh, the Germans or the Japanese would come back in. So there are some documented cases of that uh, happening even even back then and in, in other wars as well. So when it comes to this war, Leslie, what you're looking at is uh, a very fluid situation, and you're, po you're pointing at something that is very important because uh, the Iraqis and 
frankly, the United States, have concentrated on training the elite units, basically the tip of the spear, as we would call it. Uh, they have not really uh, brought a, much emphasis uh, to the policing-type forces that would be put in place uh, to prevent uh, occurrences like uh, the execution of those 40, 40 villagers. Uh, so it, it becomes very difficult, and this is where uh, there's a, it's basically a battle of, uh, of time and space that has to take place, and uh, they, the coalition forces have to eliminate as many ISIS fighters as they possibly can, either by killing them outright or by capturing them, uh, which is a far more difficult uh, thing to do than, uh, than it would be uh, you know, with most, most standard militaries. But, but that's what they have to do. They have to be very careful with, uh, with these, these elements because they are so flexible, they are trained to be flexible, and uh, the kind of warfare that they execute is based on surprise, it's based on stealth, and it's also based on single or very small autonomous units. So these units could be made up of one person who's a suicide bomber, or they could be made up of multiple people who are doing the same thing. And that makes them extremely dangerous and uh, something that becomes very hard to guard against. It can be done, but it requires a great deal of attention on the part of the forces that are that are beginning to surround Mosul right now. And also, when I mentioned those 40 that were executed, that was one village. I want to be clear. ISIS militants rounded up and shot dead in a less than 48-hour period between last Thursday and Friday. 284 men and boys, so young boys, children. Uh, Let's uh, move to Aleppo. Uh, in Syria, and I know you, Colonel, and I know where that is, unlike somebody running for president. Sorry, I can't help myself with that. I can't wrap my head around that. I, really can't. I can't wrap my head around it. I, like his, his approval rating going down to zero after just that one sentence. But anyway, uh, the top UN human rights official has called the siege and bombardment of eastern Aleppo crimes of historic proportions. This was on Friday before the weekend, accused all parties of violating international humanitarian law in Syria. Now, this was in a video speech to the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva, Switzerland. His name is Aid Rahat al-Hussein. He said the armed opposition groups are firing mortars into neighborhoods of western Aleppo, that indiscriminate airstrikes across the eastern part of the city by government forces and their allies are responsible for the overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly majority of civilian casualties. And he said this violates, uh, these violations constitute war crimes. Uh, Colonel, can you speak to us about this? You know, we've heard people like Donald Trump and others talk about carpet bombing. We've heard the United States talk about there's a reason we can't, you know, just indiscriminately, you know, drop bombs. But this is another example of how much more difficult the situation is in Aleppo within Mosul, right, and in Syria uh, than Iraq, um, because you have a number of conflicts going in within the borders of that of that nation, and I'm not trying to excuse it. I don't want any any innocent men, women, and children to be killed. But it, it, is it unavoidable? It's it's very difficult to avoid, especially when you're talking about concentrated civilian areas like you have in Aleppo, like you will have in Mosul. And so the you know the human rights chief is. Uh, is correct in that uh, you know the a lot of what has happened, a lot of the bombarding that has gone on has been deliberate, uh, and in some cases has deliberately targeted civilians. In other cases, though, part of the issue is a lack of precision guided munitions and a lack of precision targeting. 
when the United when the United States goes to war, uh, what we take great pains in doing is finding out exactly where uh, there are civilian enclaves or where people live, where the hospitals are, where the schools are, uh, and other institutions and even churches, mosques, and, and synagogues. We try very carefully uh, to make sure that we don't hit them. Now, there are times when when Obviously, even with those precautions, these areas are hit, uh, and it just depends on exactly what kinds of, of tactics you, you employ, what kind of techniques you employ, and also how good your intelligence is. So you try your best, you know, when you're in, a, at least the United States, from the U.S. point of view, we try our best to avoid those civilian casualties. Those same uh, compunctions, those same restrictions don't apply to the Russians or to the Syrian government. Government, uh, because they operate on a completely different, uh, under a completely different mindset, and they really, even if uh, international law precludes the deliberate tar- deliberate targeting of civilians or the deliberate harming of cultural institutions, uh, they will still go ahead and do that because they don't bother to have the stringent command and control procedures that we have, and they don't bother to ha- use precision targeting techniques uh, that we use uh, to go after certain targets. And they also do this for political gain. Uh, so they want to intimidate the local population. They want to kill, in some cases, as many as possible of the local population because that gives them fewer opponents to deal with. And it's a very cold thing to have to say, but that's that's exactly how the Russians operate. Uh, So when it comes to the idea of carpet bombing, uh, that is certainly a a technique that was used in in World War II, for example, in Vietnam. Uh, But because of the advent of technology and the developments that we have, we are able to be far more precise in our bombing campaigns, and that then means if you have the technical means of of making sure that civilians aren't harmed, then you must use those means to prevent damage to them, wounding them, killing them, uh, or or rendering their uh, their uh, their places of, of residence uh, uninhabitable. That's the kind of thing that you try to um, actually actually prevent, and that's why there's such a great difference in how various nations fight wars. Some of it is based on policy, some of it is based on technology, and when you merge the two together, it becomes very important uh, to make sure that you uh, make a, a concerted effort uh, to avoid as much damage as possible to, to civilian areas, and that obviously is not what's happening in, in Aleppo at this time. Do you agree with uh, the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, that she would not put troops uh, on the ground? She had said in Iraq, but because we're talking about Syria and it seems to be a bigger mess there. Do do you agree, Colonel, with your military expertise that Americans should not put their have boots on the ground in Syria? I think it's a very dangerous situation in Syria. So, Leslie, the way I look at it is this. If I were uh, in Hillary Clinton's shoes right now, I will, would try everything possible to avoid putting U.S. troops on the ground. But having said that, I'm not sure that I'd be telegraphing that to the rest of the world, because it is an option, as unpalatable as that option may be, it is an option that one would use, potentially use, or make the other side think that you're going to use that option. Uh, in order to achieve certain things on the ground, certain you know, certain ceasefires, perhaps, or you know, get get some leverage out of out of the situation.
situation. Unfortunately, when it comes to Syria, uh, there is really, at this point in time, there's really no good place uh, to put American troops on the ground. There's no safe zone. Uh, there's no area that they uh, can could easily make into a safe zone unless there is a major objective that they would have, such as uh, you know, capturing Damascus or uh, deposing Assad, uh, the president of Syria, or something like that. But if there's no big objective like that, um, then it becomes very dangerous to put troops on the ground, and it becomes very dangerous uh, from the standpoint of getting them caught in, in a mission creep type situation. So I would certainly counsel against putting troops on the ground, but I would not necessarily publicly say that. Then again, I'm, I'm sure that she is not totally ruling it out either. She made us think it's as palatable, palatable in an election year to admit that, uh, unfortunately, right? That's a public and private thing. Uh, Colonel, thank you. Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. He's also a military analyst for CNN. Please check out his website, CedricLayton.com. And on Twitter, follow him there, at Cedric Layton. I always learn a lot from him in his vast years and uh, vast experience uh, in military intelligence uh, for so much of his life. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.